Hello, Orange Evangelical Church. My name is Chris. I'm currently on staff at St. Matthias Anglican Church in Sydney, uh, and it's an honour and privilege to open the Bible with you this morning. Uh, Thank you for joining us for church. Before we have a look at the Bible, I thought I'd just introduce myself. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm married to Mel. We've been married for 12 years. We have three kids, Calvin, who is eight years old, Piper, who's three years old, and Ridley, who is two years old. We're so looking forward to the possibility of joining you next year and serving you. Um, But how about we pray as we come to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you that you have not left us alone in the dark, but that you have revealed yourself to us and shown us how we may know you through your son Jesus in the Bible. And so as we read the Bible this morning, we pray that you would soften our hearts and open our ears so we may hear what you're saying to us today. Help us to live as strangers and exiles in this world so that when your son Jesus returns, we may be found faithful on that final day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to start by introducing you to a mate of mine called Dave. Dave is a Christian that I used to live with. Dave worked at a big investment company in Sydney and struggled with the way that his colleagues spoke about him behind his back. You see, Dave knew that the key way to progress through the company was to go out drinking on a Friday night with his colleagues, but he also knew what happened on those nights. It would start in the office with the Friday 4pm drinks cart. Then they would move from pub to pub talking business and projects. More talking business, more drinking at pubs. It would go on through the whole night, and it'd usually end up in a strip club in the early hours of a Saturday morning. Dave knew that he must be faithful to Jesus, but he also knew what he needed to do to get ahead in the company. He knew that his colleagues were surprised when he didn't join them. He knew that they looked down on him and they spoke behind his back. And over the years, he saw other colleagues around him promoted time and time again when he was not. So what do you do in that position? What do you do with that? Should he compromise his faith for the sake of progressing his career, or should he continue to suffer slander and ridicule and not get promoted for remaining faithful to Jesus? Now, for you, it might not be trying to get ahead in the career. Uh, For you, it might be the guys you play football with on a Saturday, or even the girlfriends from work, or even your family. What do you do when saying no to sin means being slandered, abused, and rejected. Friends, what do you do with that? Uh, or simply put, how do we stand firm in our faith in Jesus in a hostile world? The letter of 1 Peter that we're looking at was written to Christians so they would stand firm in a hostile world. And today, Peter says to stand firm, you need to know the time, which sounds strange, but I'll explain what I mean. Uh, Time is a key marker in our passage today. Have a look again at it. He says, verse 2, live for the rest of their earthly lives. That's time. Verse 3, you have spent enough Time And verse 7, the end of all things is near, again speaking about the end of time. So time is key for us to understanding how to stand firm in a hostile world. Three points today. Um, The time for human passions is behind. 
the time for judgment is ahead and the time that is left. In 1 Peter 4, Peter reshapes our understanding of the time in which we're living in so we may glorify God in a hostile world. So friends, check your watches. It's all about the time. Uh, let's start with the first point. The time for human passions has passed. Today we're in chapter 4, but for the sake of context, let's have a look at how Peter finished chapter 3. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, laid down his life at the cross, by taking the punishment of sin on himself, he was a substitute dying in our place. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again and now sits at the right hand of God, showing us that he has secured victory for us over sin and death. And Peter wants us to see that Jesus' path to death, resurrection and ascension is paved with suffering. Which means those who belong to Jesus, their path to death, resurrection and eternal life will be paved with suffering as well. Here Peter is speaking about Christians suffering for their faith in Christ. For our brothers and sisters in countries like Tehran and Bangladesh and North Korea and Egypt, this means violence, persecution and even death. For us in Australia, it's more relational. It's more like the examples of verse 3 and 4, uh, being judged by other people, being slandered, being abused and rejected. So our suffering is not the same as our brothers and sisters. But if you have experienced relational suffering, you know it still hurts. It's real. So friends, how do we stand firm in a hostile world when we suffer? Well, have a look at chapter 4, verse 1 with me. Um, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. To stand firm in our faith in a hostile world, we need to arm ourselves with the same attitude that Jesus had. We read about this attitude in chapter 12, sorry, chapter 2, uh, that Jesus suffered for us, leaving us an example to follow. That he was willing to suffer by entrusting himself to God the Father, the one who judges justly. God calls us to follow the example of Jesus and to be willing to suffer. That's because Christians who suffer in the body show that they are done with sin. I guess the best, the big question is how? How does someone who is suffering show that they are done with sin? Well, verse 3 and 4 tell us that Peter is writing to a group of Christians that are suffering slander, abuse and rejection for saying no to sin. Therefore, Christians show they are done with sin when they are ready to suffer for saying no to sin. I'll say that again. Christians show they are done with sin when they are willing to suffer for saying no to sin. Verse 2, as a result, they do not live for the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. Friends, what's God's will for your life? That's a big question. What's God's will for your life? We could spend all day talking about it. But God has not left us alone to try and discover his will for our lives. He's revealed it to us in the Bible. Verse 2 tells us his will is for the rest of our lives to say no to evil human desires, say no to sin, so that we may stand firm in a hostile world. 
In chapter 2, Peter puts it like this. He says, He himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in the body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. When we put our faith in Jesus, God saves us from the punishment of sin and frees us from the power of sin. Sin is no longer our master and sin is no prison either. God gives us eyes to see the need to change and the power to do it. And here is where the battle lies, because you can take the path of least resistance when it comes to sin. You can go back to sin. You can do all the things listed in verse 3. But why would you want to go back to that way of life? I mean, any pleasure you get from sin isn't real or lasting pleasure. Any feeling of security you get from sin is just false security. And any satisfaction you think you have in sin is lost. And then you're reminded just how truly unsatisfied you are. Friends, if you have been saved from the punishment of sin and its power, then you would be a fool to look at the rear mirror at your sin. My family and I live in a high-rise tower with a car park underneath. Uh, Each car space has a big steel yellow pole so you don't drive into a wall. Last weekend, I was parking our car. The problem was I was focused on the rear mirror while trying to move forward. And of course, I drove straight into the big yellow pole. I call it touch parking. Uh, And you are probably laughing and you'd be right to laugh because it was foolish. It was foolish for me to look back, to focus on that rear vision mirror while driving forward. And friends, it's equally foolish for us to look in the rear mirror at our sin while trying to follow Jesus. How do we glorify God and stand firm in this hostile world? Well, Peter says, check your watch. Know the time. Living by sinful desires is behind us, and the time to live for the will of God is now. So say no to sin. Now you're thinking, yeah, that's all well and good, Chris. But what do I do when I say no to sin and I'm slandered, abused, rejected? Well, Peter answers this in the next section. So for our second point, the time of judgment is ahead. If you've got your Bibles, have a look at verse 3 with me. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Peter lists sins of excess, sins of self-gratification. These were socially acceptable in the first century. Uh, These are the kinds of things that were common practice. It was entertainment. It's what people did on the weekend. And if you were to ask your friends today, your colleagues, or even your family, what did you do on the weekend? If they were honest, I'm sure they would share a number of these things in verse 3. They are surprised when you don't join in because you are different. You belong to Jesus and you've made a break with sin. They might think that you're looking down on them. They might think that you're a killjoy. They even might think that you are judging them for their lifestyle. But what they don't understand is that Christians are different from the world, that they are called out of the world and called to be different. And so they take offense. They abuse people. They abuse Christians. They reject them. So what do we do? Well, Peter says we look ahead to judgment. That is the judgment that's ahead. And he gives two reasons. First in verse five, he says they will need to account. 
Uh, the living in the dead in verse 5 is speaking about everyone who has ever lived or will that will come under the judgment of God. Those who slander and abuse and reject Christians will need to give an account for how they have treated Christians. And so we look to the coming judgment of God rather than taking justice into our own hands. This is the example that Peter gives in chapter 2 verse 23 with Jesus. He says, when he, that's Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus, God the Son, entrusted himself to God the Father when he went to the cross. And like Jesus, we are to entrust ourselves to God the Father, knowing that he will judge justly. And we pray that God would give us a heart that is willing to suffer. We look forward to the judgment that is coming and we trust that God will vindicate us in that judgment. The second reason is we look to the judgment ahead is that we will be raised to eternal life. Have a look at verse 6. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. It's important to note here that Peter isn't speaking about preaching to the dead, purgatory, or post-mortem conversions. The gospel was preached, past tense, to those who are now dead, present tense. So verse 6 is speaking about Christians who heard the gospel when they were alive, but are now dead. Christians who were judged according to human standards. That's the examples we see in verse 4 and 5. These are Christians who were judged, slandered, and rejected by non-Christians. The world saw them as fools. Uh, but Peter says they are no fools because they are spiritually alive. They have eternal life, which means this is a word of comfort. Even though Christians are rejected, abused, and slandered today, even though some of them will suffer for being a Christian and suffer to the point of death, they will never lose their salvation. They will never lose eternal life, just as Jesus was resurrected as a sign of vindication over those who judged him. We, too, will rise again as a sign of vindication over those who have slandered us and maligned us and judged us, which means suffering is worth it because we will be resurrected by God. I'll say that again. Suffering is worth it because we will be resurrected by God and have eternal life. How do we stand firm in a hostile world? We look to the coming judgment of God. We look to the vindication that he will judge those who have slandered us. And we look to the resurrection because we will be raised again to eternal life. Remember my mate Dave? He was slandered, abused, and he missed out on these promotions because he wouldn't go drinking with his colleagues on a Friday night. He suffered for living God's way in a hostile world, and he did that because he knew what was waiting for him in heaven. He looked forward to the judgment ahead. Now, it wasn't easy. He said to me once, Chris, it's hard. It's really hard. When people are promoted around you, when you miss out on key projects, promotions, big pay packets, he said the promotion, the career and the pay packets, they will all pale in significance when we see Jesus face to face.
You see, G, you see, Dave knew the judgment that was coming. He knew the example of Jesus and, and the willingness to suffer that Jesus had. And so it formed in him a resolve to continue to say no to sin and to be willing to suffer for saying no to sin. And today, God, through his word, tells us to do the same. He says, check your watches and know the time. The time for human passions is behind. The time for judgment is ahead. So trust in the vindication of God and the comfort of eternal life. So what do we do with the little time we have left? Well, that brings us to our final point, point three. Have a look at verse seven with me. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. When Peter speaks about the end, he's making a bold and definitive claim about the future. The original word here for end is speaking about the last stage in God's plan of redemption. That is, God has fixed a time when his son will return and he will end this world as we know it and bring in the new creation. And this bold and definitive claim should not lead us to fear or despair, but makes us alert and gives us a clarity of mind. The fact that we have such a short time before Jesus returns should cause us to change our priorities, to figure out what matters most and to help us to pray. You see, when time is short and life is hard, what do non-Christians do? Well, they tend to go back to verse 3. But for the Christian, when time is short and life is hard, we depend on our loving Heavenly Father and we pray to Him. When we struggle with sin, when we suffer for saying no to sin, when we need strength to stand firm in a hostile world, we pray to our Heavenly Father who loves to give good gifts to His children. The end of all things, the short time we have left, helps us to think what we should prioritize as a Christian community. I say Christian community because the rest of the of um, our passage talks about what we should do for one another, that is, other Christians. So can I ask, what kind of church does God want OEC to be? What kind of church does God want OEC to be? Well, let's read verse 8 together and see what God has to say. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Peter gives us three priorities, but above all, that is the most important one, is to treat each other in love. Jesus' death on the cross once and for all covers the multitude of our sin. And this becomes the pattern of love and forgiveness that we show one another. It's not that we can love one one another and forgive their sin, but it talks about a pattern of sin that we follow. You see, love doesn't draw attention to, to sin. It doesn't shame people to sin. But love doesn't ignore sin either. It doesn't turn a blind eye to sin or withdraw from sin. Earnest love seeks pace and gives forgiveness. Earnest love bears with one another's sin. They say the two hardest phrases to say in a marriage is, I'm sorry and please forgive me. That's one. And thank you for saying sorry. And in my experience, they're the two hardest phrases to say in a Christian community as well. 
Friends, we show the love of God for one another when we earnestly love one another and we say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then when we say, thank you for saying sorry. The end is near and so we should love one another earnestly. And then Peter gives us a practical example of this in verse 9 with hospitality without grumbling, which is strange because I would assume that hospitality with grumbling is not really hospitality at all, but I don't know, that might be just how some people entertain. Um, grumbling with Grumbling shows that hospitality is done out of duty, not love, out of obligation, not gratitude, out of selfishness and not service. The end of things is all near. So brothers and sisters, we open our hearts to love one another and we open our homes to care for one another. Another practical outworking of love is verse 10, serving one another. The time for living for ourselves and living um, and serving ourselves is in the past. If the end of all things is near, if time is short, we must serve one another with the gifts that God has given us. Verse 11, some of us may have speaking gifts, uh, word gifts, teachers and evangelists. They must take their responsibility seriously and handle the Bible as the true word of God preaching the gospel faithfully so that believers may be built up and encouraged and other people in this hostile world may hear the good news of Jesus, turn and be saved. If your gift is a gift of encouragement through speaking, it might not be preaching or evangelism, but there is a call here that your words must be saturated with the truth of God's word as we speak the truth in love to build one another up or any other gift that God has given us to serve him, whether that's music or whether that's hospitality or whether that's setting up church. He gives us these gifts and the strength to do them so we may serve one another. You see, COVID-19 has changed a lot of the ways we do things, the way we line up at supermarkets, the way we greet one another, and more significantly, how we do church. So we need to make sure that covid doesn't turn us into consumers of church, but rather servers at church uh, and depend on God as we seek to faithfully serve him. Now, it feels like these are all really loose ends, right? But Peter finishes with just this grab bag of instructions to do, but these aren't a random assortment of instructions. Peter ties them all together by reminding us the goal of a church. Verse 11 so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Since the end of all things is near, what kind of church does God want OEC to be? A church that glorifies God by earnestly loving one another. A church that glorifies God by caring for one another and showing hospitality. A church that glorifies God when we serve one another with the gifts and strengths that he has given us. A church that glorifies God and God alone through his son, Jesus Christ. So as we finish today, uh, how do we apply this? Uh, well, here are three questions to help you think about this more. Uh, maybe you want to think about this during the week or even chat to your growth group about these things. First, since the time for passions is behind, friends, do you need to turn back to God? As we looked at the list of sins in verse 3, or as you thought about other sins in your past, do you need to stop playing with God 
repent of your sin and turn back to him. Because today would be a great day to do that. Second, since the time of judgment lies ahead, do you need to ask God for strength to fix your eyes on Jesus and to learn from his example so that you can stand firm under trial and count suffering for Jesus as worth it? Final question, since the time that is left is short, how can you be serving other people at church? How can you be caring for people, visiting people, calling them up, or maybe even just preparing a meal for them and taking it around? How can you be looking out for others at this time? In 1 Peter 4, Peter reshapes our understanding of the time we are living in so we may glorify God in a hostile world. And he said, remember to check your watches. The time for human passions is behind. The time for judgment is ahead. So the time that is left must be used to glorify God. This is not easy to do in a hostile world. So how about I pray that God would help us to do this for his glory alone. So let's finish by praying together. Heavenly Father and gracious God, thank you for the time that we've been able to spend today reading your word together, learning and growing together. Father, I really thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his example on the cross. Thank you for his willingness to suffer. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would change our hearts so that we would be willing to suffer as well. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and say no to sin. When we do suffer, when we are slandered and judged and rejected by others, help us to look ahead to the judgment is coming and find comfort in the promise of eternal life. And Heavenly Father, as we continue to do life together as Christian community, help us to serve one another so that we may be a church that glorifies you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.